And welcome everyone to our latest edition of BAMS Radio here on this Sunday. I hope everyone set their clocks back uh, as we uh, enter daylight savings time. Uh, but Alabama certainly didn't save the Mississippi State Bulldogs. 41 to nothing beatdown of Mississippi State. Probably Alabama's most complete game of the year. But, of course, you have to take it into context. Mississippi State right now, about what I figured. They're uh, struggling on offense big time. Pretty good defense, though, that Alabama faced. Statistically, the second-ranked defense in the SEC. So, uh, it it wasn't easy last night. I know Alabama gained 500-plus yards. I know they scored 34 points, 41 overall as as Patrick Sertain had his first pick six of his career. But, again, uh, you just – you have to you take the good with the bad. Alabama handled business. They were a beat up team, probably a little drained, considering they haven't had their bye. Now they go into the bye six and zero, but it was a workmanlike performance for the Crimson Tide. I'm your host, Bjarman. I'm with co-host and uh, wizard Thomas Watts, who does a great job producing for us. Back in the port city of Mobile, and of course from Birmingham, William Redfish Barger uh, from uh, eighty nine to ninety three, a member of the Crimson Tide. Uh, a guy that keeps his you know, ear close to the ground with this program still and a 1992 national champion. Gentlemen, welcome once again. William, great to have you tonight. How are you, sir? Doing great, Drew. How about you? Doing good. I, I, uh, I was pretty pleased with the performance last night. I think it, I guess I want to start defensively because I know there were some, we had, we've had some criticisms of this defense uh, up to this point in the season and, I think they're valid points. I think this defense is talented. I, I do think they're young in some spots, but, you know, there's some obvious we, – we, we've seen, seen uh, some communication issues early, some, uh, some head-scratching coaching decisions. But I thought they looked like they were ready to play yesterday against Mississippi State. And this Alabama team has, uh, you know, had trouble, you know, at the early part of the season getting off the field on third down. We talked about that. They were last in the country at one point. So you wanted to see them continue to get better there. I think uh, Mississippi State finished 2 of 15. We finally saw some sacks because I know you were talking about that last week. This team has got to finish. They've got to get to the QB. Uh, And I thought they tackled really well in space. Uh, And then uh, for the first time all season, they knocked a quarterback out. I know it was an inadvertent knee, but they hit the guy. They knocked him out. Thoughts and prayers to K.J. Costello, who's had some issues with concussions. But they get the true freshman Will Rogers in there. Will Rogers completed 23 passes, but uh, I think for only 147 yards. So I, I thought Alabama made them earn every yard. Overall, I thought, you know, still still a ways to go, but I thought the defense got better yesterday. Yeah, I, I did too. Um, you know, I, I think there was a couple things that, you know, kind of stuck out in my mind. I mean, although, um, you know, I think Mississippi State did a – halfway decent job of at least interrupting and slowing the Alabama offense down at times. Um, it's obvious they're not the best defense in the SEC. Right. Um, you know, the the other thing that I, I don't know in all my years of watching football, if I've ever seen, because that wasn't just a, you know, hey, the guy's woozy. I mean, that, KJ Costello didn't know where in the hell he was. Oh yeah, it, it was and scary. It just yeah. didn't look. Yeah. It just didn't look like that bad of a, of a knee to the head. I mean, I've seen a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. Um. So I was just kind of baffled, if you know. And then I I didn't realize that he had, you know, had concussion issues in the past. So maybe it doesn't take much. But um, 
you know, I, I think the, the two positives that I saw, you know, last night on defense, you know, really kind of involved, you know, two true freshmen. Um, you know, Malachi Moore uh, continued his stellar true freshman season. I think he ended up being the leading tackler, um, had some nice pass deflections. Um, and then, you know, Will Anderson started looking like the Will Anderson that we saw versus Missouri. Um, you know, he was had a couple tackles for loss. I think he ended up with um, – you know, five or six tackles, um, you know, really, you know, you heard everybody, um, you know, all the, the announcers talking about him and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I thought the defense took a step forward, but I'm I'm going to temper my enthusiasm because Mississippi State's terrible. Yeah, um, that, that's what know, I, that, that, that I, I completely agree. Yeah. But, but still, um, they, they, they treated that offense like they were horrible, so that's a positive in my book. I'm not going to – you know, I'm not one of these people that's not going to give credit where credit's due. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was kind of an off night for Mac Jones. He, he didn't show his, um, you know, normal incredible accuracy and touch. I mean, he, he overthrew quite a few people and just, just looked like there at least in the first quarter and a half that he wasn't really in his normal rhythm. Uh, but, you know, it allowed Najee Harris to get a lot more touches and, and do some damage on the ground. And they they got Trey Sanders into the game early, and, and he had a nice night. And I think he ended up with like 80-something yards rushing. Um, so, you know, they did one of the things on offense that I thought they had been lacking, um, which was, you know, get three running backs involved. Um, so, you know, all in all, I mean, I, I was pleased with the game. There's, there's really nothing to, you know, nothing too big or bad to complain about. Well, and – I agree with you totally. Uh, you know, you don't want to overreact because this is, you know, they're not the 1970s steel curtain. This is that they were playing an offense that had been really struggling. But as you said, they treated them as one, and they continued their to to let Mississippi straight and make them uh, to, to make the the uh, maroon and white struggle uh, with uh, good tackling. Uh, you know, looked like a sound plan. Not, not a lot of guys not running wide open, which is always good. Looked like the communication was improved. Uh, William and and I will say this with Mac to turn to swing back to Mac. No, I don't think this is the best defense in the SEC at Mississippi State, but they certainly are pretty good. They had one of the better fronts I think Alabama had seen. Not not Georgia by any stretch, but still pretty good. Errol Thompson uh, in his senior season, the linebacker for uh, Mississippi State from Florence, Alabama, had 11 tackles. He was in on uh, I think he had half a sack. I wish he was in an Alabama uniform. I know he wanted to be. Uh, Alabama decided to go in a different direction. Uh, he and Monty Rice, to me, are just a couple of in-state kids that kind of stick out at a position where Alabama could have used some help in the last couple of years. But certainly I was glad to see him play well. But, of course, they came out on the short end of the stick. I still think, you know, their secondary was holding a lot. But I think that their front seven was good. Their secondary, not so much. Uh, but I think they were able to, to affect Mac Jones. You made a great point there. And I think that they got Mac a little uncomfortable. And I think some things they were doing early, I think for the first time we saw Mac kind of be impatient. Instead of just taking what they were giving him and probably check down a little bit, I thought Mac kept going for the home run ball a little bit when he probably should have just, uh, uh, you know, gone to another read. No, I agree. And, um, you know, I enjoyed watching um, Smitty and, and Matchy work last night. I mean, it's obvious those two guys are – you know, a threat to take it the distance every time the ball's thrown in their direction. Um, but, you know, I enjoyed watching Najee, you know, kind of grind them in the ground and, 
Um, you know, the offensive line, I think, after the first quarter and a half, you know, really was effective. Um, you know, it, it's you know, Alabama, I think, came out of the game without any serious injuries. So, you know, that's a positive. Um, but, you know, it's uh, – I'm sure this is – with the way this, you know, season has played out, especially with, with all the SEC games in a row, I'm sure they're really looking forward to the off week. And, uh, you know, I'm going to start watching some film of uh, a very, very wounded and, and discombobulated LSU program right now. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I wanted to bring in Thomas Watts. Uh, you know, uh, I think we're hearing the new addition to his family in the background there. But, uh, Thomas, I'm oh, going to that's actually in my house. Oh, OK. OK. Well, uh, well, the uh, the the uh, four-legged uh, dog wonder for for me is in Gunnersville, so it's not here. But certainly, uh, I, I'm actually I'm actually celebrating the first thirty-degree night of the year out by the fire pit while we're talking. So that's, that's, hey, that's a, that sounds like a fun night. It's always great to have a fire, no doubt about that. But yeah. Thomas wanted to bring you in on the conversation. I know, just like we all, William and I have been, we've all been critical of the defense. Uh, what did you see about, out of Alabama defensively that you liked? Uh, and, and maybe even some things – was there anything that still bothered you last night? Well, okay, so the thing about Mississippi State's offense is it really is only a handful of plays. Yes. There, there was a joke on the telecast that uh, Mike Leach's own offensive coordinator and his play sheet is like a three-by-five index card. And what – what he tries to do with this small set of plays is execute them at a high level and have some built-in stuff that if you go zone, you if you go zone, you have zone beaters. If you go man, you have man beaters built into a small set of plays. But what Alabama was able to do was say, okay, well, let's see how well you can read our zones. And Alabama, on practically every play, rushed three, dropped eight or in some cases, rushed four, dropped eight. It kind of depended on the down and distance. But what that, first off, that was what really sunk Mississippi State earlier this year. It's what Kentucky did. It's what basically everybody is going to do to Mississippi State for the rest of the year. And it's going to shut their offense down. It's going to be brutal. But anyway, Alabama was able to do it. And this, to me, it sort of proved the point we've had about simplifying the defense and yeah. letting athletes be athletes. Alabama's entire defensive game plan was clog zones up and let and swarm the ball. And what did we see? We saw Mississippi State get one first down and 33 total yards in the first half. They got it going a little bit in the second half, but it's not like – we had or there was there was a ton of pressure on the defense ever like the one time there was a throw to the end zone it turned into an interception so i mean overall i'm encouraged by this performance i hope that the defensive brain trust takes you know maybe we need to simplify this a little more to heart having now having had a chance to review that film but it remains to be seen drew and to play it forward a little bit I'll be honest, I didn't get to watch the LSU versus Auburn game, but whatever Auburn did to slow down a LSU offense that has some talent, I mean, T.J. Finley should scare absolutely nobody after yesterday, but they've got a bunch of highly recruited guys on that team. 
And to hold them to three in this age of college football, there's got to be some things that the Alabama defense can take and adapt. And, you know, we'll see. And really, just to close out, what I'm saying, Drew, is the defense is getting better. It is putting itself together. Is it ever going to be a Georgia-level elite unit? No, that's above its ceiling. But it's damn sure good enough to hang in a college football playoff scenario. And that's really all you can ask for as we look as, as we look six games in. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, William, I was going to come back to you. One guy that's been standing out to me, and I know he – uh, is it, it was not even considered a starter heading into the season, but I honestly think he's been the best defensive lineman Alabama's had and the most consistent. I was really, and hopefully he's not hurt severely. I know he got a little shaken up late in the game. I don't think it was anything serious because he got up on his own power, but I think Fedarian Mathis has had a heck of a year so far. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was walking off under his own power, albeit with a limp. But, it, you know, I, I certainly think he'll probably be full speed for LSU. Um, it didn't look to be too severe. Um, at first, I even thought it was cramps. But, um, right. you know, I think he had a little ankle sprain. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. I mean, he's uh, really come a long way as a player. He did a great job of, um, you know, winning the hand position war versus the, the Mississippi State Center. Um, was you know, reestablishing the line of scrimmage and they're on their side of it. And, uh, you know, he, he's actually a, a little bit more effective of a pass rusher than I've seen him be in the past. I mean, he, he got some, you know, some pressure affected the quarterback a little bit, um, you know, and, and maybe it uh, lighted a fire under DJ Dale. I think one of the first reps I saw him get in the, the game, he actually made a tackle, um, you know, for, for no gain. So, um I agree with you. I, I was curious. Maybe I'm just lost in space here. Was was 92 hurt last night? Where was he? He was then there. He just didn't make many play. He didn't make any flash plays. I did see him out there at end, but he he just we didn't see him make any plays in the backfield, or I didn't see a pressure. Mathis actually had the first sack, and that way it, it was just one of those deals where he beat one of their interior O linemen around the around the around the the. Uh, Around the around the corner to the QB, got to the quarterback. Uh, I know Chris Allen had a sack, and they had some other guys with pressures. You know, I noticed uh, 47 Byron Young in there. He's gotten better, but uh, and I've noticed uh, Boigby a couple times this year. But he was in there last night, but I did not notice him making plays as far as tackles or anything like that on the stat sheet. Yeah, I, I just you know it just seemed to me like the 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 main mix last night was um, Barmore, Mathis, and uh, mm-hmm. Turner. Um, they they seem yeah. to be the three guys, you know, out there the most. And, um, you know, obviously I think Allen and, and Chris Anderson made their presence known. And, uh, you know, for, for the most part, I think Harris and, and Moses had a nice game. But, um, you know, certainly to me, I thought that uh, – and, and God knows that's not two of the better quarterbacks they're going to see all year long. But huh. I really thought the Alabama, the back end of Alabama's defense had a really nice game. Um, you know, you didn't see anybody just totally lost. The safety play looked like it was better. Um, you know, there was a couple of, um, you know, other plays where they, you know, probably could have had an interception, um, you know, some deflections. Uh, you know, I, I just thought it was a good performance by the Alabama DBs and, and, you know, that could be 
you know, related to the fact that that was probably the, the best game of the season where I thought they put pressure on the quarterback with the, with the front seven as well. Yeah, and I mean, I, I noticed Brian Branch right away. He's getting more and more time. He almost had interceptions each of the first two series. He's getting his hands on the ball, which is very encouraging. Uh, you know, I noticed DeMarco Helms. I thought he played physical. No obvious mistakes uh, by Daniel Wright. You know, he uh, – and and so I thought that – and then we saw Sertain uh, get his pick six. But I'll tell you what, William, I've been really encouraged by Josh Job and the way he's played. He's And I thought he played really physical last night. He's played physical all year, and it seems as though with more confidence. I know last year he made some mistakes early against Duke. He kind of went into a shell. He kind of had a meltdown. But I think he's done a better job this year of just playing, you know, going play to play. And, again, he's got really good size like Sertain, and I, and I like the physicality that he's played with. Yeah, and, and I think he's a guy that, that just, you know, you could probably compare him to, um, you know, what you saw with, with the maturation of Mac Jones yeah. um, after he took over as the starter last year. I mean, I, I, there's no doubt that both of those guys, you know, had the physical tools to, to play their positions at a high level, but I both think they had some, you know, some pretty serious mental hurdles to get past and, it looks like they both have done that. I think Job was one of the guys that, that actually was in a position. It would have been a, a an unbelievable play had he pulled it off. But I think he's one of the guys that, that almost had a pick last night. Uh, but yeah, he he's yeah. played really well all season. I mean, the the corner play for Alabama, um, you know, outside of a couple of plays, um, you know, versus Tennessee last week, and and I I do tend to agree with the. Um, the CBS announces, I do think Tennessee, while they don't have a quarterback, they do have some good young wide receivers. Um, but I, I think that, you know, if, if Alabama can get, you know, week in and week out a consistent pass rush, um, yeah, I think they have one of the better secondaries, um, you know, in, in the country, um, you know, with, with those guys. Because, you know, it's, you know, Sertan and, and Job are going to be kind of the mainstays at corner. But, you know, they bring a lot of guys in. Um, in the middle of the field at the, you know, the, the money and the nickel and at the set two safety spots. And, you know, that's a good problem to have. Uh, like you said, I mean, Helms is getting better. Branch is getting better. You know, Jordan Battles, um, you know, kind of coming around. So, you know, Danny, like you said, um, you know, I, I think Danny Wright's got a lot of physical ability. You know, I think he just, you know, kind of gets lost mentally at times. So, you know, they've got a lot of good, uh, young players back there in, in the middle of that back end of the defense. They just got to get more confidence, and that's going to come with increased reps. It is. It really is. And uh, and uh, I'm going to bring Thomas back into the conversation. Uh, Thomas, you know, we're talking a lot about uh, this secondary and, and the maturation that we're seeing back there. I know you were watching closely last night uh, some of those young players, and I brought up Brian Branch, uh, you know, the, the most respected talent evaluator I speak with, uh, he's based out of Texas. He was the, one of the first people to tell me about Branch because he came to see him in uh, Tyrone, Georgia, because he was the it, Oklahoma thought they had a really good shot, uh, and he has close ties to OU uh, to get this kid. And, and Alabama turned up the heat and got him. But I think I, I'm seeing some positive signs back there in the secondary, and I think a lot of people need to understand at the start of the year this is a young young group that hadn't played a whole lot the more they play the better it should be but uh some definite strides taken by the back end 
your your point actually leads to a larger discussion, Drew, and it's about the week to week nature of this season due to the coronavirus. the The team that barely beat Boston College and the Clemson Tigers is probably going to smoke Notre Dame this next week, and the inconsistencies are glaring. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a a consistent team. There are only like three or four consistent teams really in the country right now. But the thing about it is, and Nick Saban said this as well, back to your question about the secondary. Nick Saban has said because of the non the no cream puff games, you know the games where Alabama comes out and it's thirty five nothing at the end of the first quarter or some nonsense like that. Those games are key for young player development. Because the only way to really get better at football is to play football. Yes, you can practice. But taking that practice and translating it into game experience on the football field at the college level is something that Alabama didn't have because they didn't start against USC. They didn't open against USC. And they didn't have a series of weaker teams to play a bunch of guys and see who can best translate practice performance into game performance. So really what we're talking about here is Alabama's played for has played six games, two of them against top 10 opponents and the other four, I mean, they're kind of here today, here today, gone tomorrow in terms of their consistency. But we're really talking about six games in generally these young players, even the ones like a Brian Branch or other young players, they've had a chance to play in the second half against a La Tech or, or you know, pick your, pick your directional school, pick your state that Alabama schedules. But that hasn't been the case. Yes, you know, there was a lot of rotation in the Mississippi State game, which was good. And there was a lot of rotation in the Missouri game, which was good. But Ole Miss was a dogfight, which we've talked about ad nauseum. You're not going to get a lot of rotation against Texas A&M because Texas a and a good football team, even though Alabama controlled that game. You're damn sure not going to get a lot of rotation with Georgia. And Tennessee, Alabama played a really solid game against Tennessee, but it, w- it was never one of those things that was like, oh, this is over, let's send in the nosebleeds. So that loss of experience – in the, in the tune-up games and the lack of spring is really showing itself in the Alabama back end. Now, what does that mean? That actually means that the ceiling for the back end is a lot higher as more and more players get game reps and get comfortable. And that's what we saw last night. I thought the secondary as a unit put together its best game. And honestly... Any time against any team in the country, I don't care who you are, if you hold a team to 33 yards in a half, you are playing elite defense. Now, that doesn't mean that Alabama has an elite defense. It's just that for that 30-minute span, that was the definition of elite. And that's not that's pretty much all you can ask for for this Alabama defense, Drew. Yeah, it is. And then to switch gears, William, uh, offensively, uh, I, as you said, Mac, uh, it took a while to get comfortable. It wasn't his best game, but he, I mean, to tell you the, the, the standard that he said, he was 24 for 31 yeah. for 291, <laughs> four touchdowns and no interceptions. He, I know he had a couple that were nearly picked, but they were, they weren't. So 
Uh, but he continues to kind of set a high standard. He's He's got to be nearing the top of the Heisman list with Trevor Lawrence now sidelined with COVID. And, of course, thoughts and prayers to Trevor uh, that he's back after the Notre Dame game. We've already talked about how he'll be out for that contest for number one Clemson in South Bend. Uh, but uh, offensively, Alabama's still with 500-plus yards. I, but I'll say you, the one the guy that really impressed me yesterday, besides Devontae Smith speaks for itself. Devontae Smith, let me first of all say this. We understand how good that foursome was at Alabama, the, the rideouts. That's going to be four first-round draft picks. I still think Jalen Waddell's going to be a first-round pick. Everyone can see his talent. We've already seen Jerry Judy uh, and uh, Henry Ruggs drafted high in the first round. Uh, but Devontae Smith, to me, and, I, and this is no disrespect to the other three. Uh, I think Jalen Waddle is the most physically talented of them. I still say that. But the best player of them all is six. And the reason I say that is because I think he's the most competitive of them. He's, he runs the best routes. And I think even more so than Jerry Judy. And he's got the best hands. Like last night, I thought hell froze over because he dropped the touchdown on the first drive. And he turned around and he owned it. And he didn't drop another ball the rest of the night. You know, he's only 175, 180 pounds, William. He's a, but he's stronger than he looks. He's a, he's, you know, he's a, he's just a, he's got a, he's got an interesting frame. He's, he's a wiry guy, but he just, and and what I like about him, let's just be frank, and we can do this on this podcast. I love the way he suddenly talks shit. Okay, I just like it. I like the way he'll tell a guy what he just did to him. Uh, I just I think he's been one of the more underappreciated superstars at Alabama. And quite frankly, I think he's going to go down as one of the top three or four wide receivers to ever play at the University of Alabama. Well, and, and you know, if, if it hadn't have been Devontae Smith, I, because we've seen him make so many ridiculous catches that had no business being caught over the last, you know, three and a half, four years. If it had been anybody else, I think there was an alibi there that that would have been a damn difficult catch that he did drop on that first yeah. drive. Um, but, but because it's Devontae Smith, you kind of get pissed off that he dropped it because you, you've yeah. seen him, you know, make so many ridiculous catches. But, you know, the I, I want to circle back around with what Thomas was talking about. With Certainly. The, Go ahead. The, the, the sisters of the poor. Um, and, and, I, and I'm saying this because I actually lived it myself. I will take 14 minutes or 13 and a half minutes, whatever it was, um, you know, when Bryce Young and a lot of the backups came in versus an SEC opponent versus a full half against UT Chattanooga or Western Carolina as far as getting these guys developed. And and, um, it's a totally different um, athlete. It's a totally different animal. And, you know, if, if, if they can average, you know, 10 minutes um, in the fourth quarter the rest of the season, I'd say the regular season, um, I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe that uh, um, Iron Bowl game might be a little bit more difficult than I would have thought it was going to be a month ago. But um, th- that that's going to expedite their development. Um, yeah, they're going to see better quarterbacks. They're going to see better wide receivers, but it, it's still SEC caliber competition. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the one other thing, you know, since y'all both brought up the Clemson-Boston College game um, so much, because I had to have a 
uh, a difficult conversation with my mother last night at 10 o'clock at night on my way home um, after the game. Um, and, and all of our conversations tend to involve either politics or college football. But is it safe to say that if you're one in six at home versus Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State, <laughs> that, that, that it's time for the powers to be? Because I, I really don't know if I've ever seen a, another football program spend the amount of money that the University of Michigan has spent. You know, they, they've got a – you know, a football complex that looks like a, a aerospace engineering award winner. Um, they, they've spent, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, I think they pay that idiot $9 million a year in most cases. But it, it, is it not time to just say that, oh, Khaki ain't going to get the job done in Ann Arbor? I mean, wow, he's lost so many games to uh, big time, like you just talked about, the, the, the teams he's supposed I, to be. I mean, has there ever needs been, to be. Has there ever been in, in recent wow. memory of, 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 you know, I would say in a interconference rivalry game, a, a more, you know, talent differential than what you saw in, in Ann Arbor yesterday? I mean, that, that Michigan State program, was left in disarray by Mark D'Antonio. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and you know, take your hat off to Mel Tucker for getting his team ready. Um, and, you know, and I think that's one of the main things that Okaki's missing is is he's you know he's over there on the sideline like a robot. You know, and that might work for the San Francisco 49ers. but you know, there, there's still a lot of passion and and. Uh, um, you know, intensity, especially, you know, that's their biggest rival, you know, say what you want. Um, granted, it's not like it is down here with the Iron Bowl where it lasts 365 a year. Um, it's only a week a year for, for those. I, I, I grew up with that rivalry, but it's still a pretty intense rivalry, um, especially when you consider the short distance between the two campuses. Um, but I, I, that that was absolutely shocking to me, you know, especially if you look how good, uh, Michigan looked the week before. Um, I was absolutely blown away by that. And, you know, my mom's a huge, you know, Michigan football fan, you know, loves Jim Harbaugh. Obviously, it's kind of the equivalent of, you know, having Mike Shula as the Alabama head coach. Yeah. Um, I'll be it that Harbaugh had a much better head coaching resume when, when he got the Michigan job. But, I mean, good God, that that's – you know, at the end of this year, I mean, if they don't cut ties with that guy on the financial investments they've made in him, they're just they've they've waved the white flag and it's over with. Well, and let's let's let the listeners know that way back in the day when William Barger was a heavily recruited student athlete out of John Carroll Catholic High School, he did visit Michigan and uh, did cross paths with Jim Harbaugh. Correct. Do what now? I said when you were coming out of John Carroll in the late 80s and you were being recruited, you were offered by Michigan, and you uh, went on a visit and you crossed paths with Jim Harbaugh, correct? Correct. Actually, uh, Les Miles was was my recruiter. Um, he was oh, the wow. offensive line, um, you know, at the time. And, um, you know, Gary Moeller, who ended up taking over for Bo Schenbacker, was involved in it, as was uh, Lloyd Carr. You know, they, they were kind of like the northern version of Alabama in the 80s. I mean, you know, they just 
uh, kind of like, you know, Coach Bryant was about retaining assistance. You know, those guys got up there and, and never left. But, yeah, I did. I crossed paths with him on my official visit, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. But um, <laughs> it, it's, it's just uh, – it's just kind of, you know, it brings back bad memories for me. It reminds me of, you know, the, um, you know, the Mike, Mike and, and, uh, Franchoni and Shula days for, for Alabama. Um, but it, it, that there's just no excuse for that. I mean, this has got to be year four or five, maybe for him up there. And you're, you're getting beat by a hapless Michigan state program with a brand new head coach. Yeah. Um, and then when you know when you and Thomas were talking about the, uh, there's another you know old traditional powerhouse that that I just still can't believe that Notre Dame is settling for what Brian Kelly um, has given them. I'll, I'll never forget the the halftime interview um, when they were going into the locker room in the the national championship game against Alabama and. The, the sideline reporter asked him, you know, coach, what do you think, you know, what's going to happen in the second half? And he just was basically punch drunk and looked at her and said, well, I guess we better hope Alabama doesn't come back out of the locker room. <laughs> I mean, you know, in, in so many words, that's what he said. And yeah. I mean, I can't believe that guy still got a job up there. Yeah. Man, man. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh. Thomas. Yeah. I mean, you know, Austin college has basically been garbage up to this point. You know, Notre Dame's, you know, a top five team right now, although I don't think they deserve to be. But I, I, I agree with Thomas. I think Clemson will beat Notre Dame comfortably. Yeah, they may very well do that. And uh, I've been practicing, uh, but DJ Ui Ungolele, uh, he, uh, he looked good in his first start uh, for Clemson, threw for 342 yards. And so they're going to be the favorite. Uh, you know, uh, is still anyway. I agree. I, I think Notre Dame's a fraud. I think they're a fraud every year. Uh, you know, uh, watching them and some of these Big Ten schools, it looks like guys are running in the mud unless you watch, uh, you know, Ohio State. But uh, I agree with you, Harbaugh. He's in his – actually, he's in his sixth year already, but just not the progress you'd think you'd see. I know they put a lot of guys into the NFL, but just inexplicable some of the losses. He's lost to Notre Dame. He's lost multiple times to Michigan State. He can't beat Ohio State. So, uh, you know, you'd think his seat would definitely uh, start to be getting hot there. And, of course, this is a Michigan State team. Mel Tucker's first year, difficult situation. But they lost to Rutgers and Greg Schiano decisively in the first week. So, I mean, that's a bad loss for Jim Harbaugh, no doubt. But before we uh, can to kind of switch to – uh, Alabama back and then start taking a look at LSU, William. I wanted to ask you one more question because you kind of brought him up earlier in the conversation. Uh, I know you know you played with him. You've known him very well throughout his uh, tenure as a student athlete and then as a coach as he's been at Alabama and now is running his own program at Tennessee. What do you think – they were on a bye this week and they're going to be getting back to, to action this coming weekend. What's the biggest issue for Jeremy Pruitt? Is it really just trying to figure out the quarterback position? You know, I, I certainly think that's a, a problem. Um, you know, I, I think that that really that that program, you know, if you take the Johnny Majors and and Phil Fulmer era out of the the deal and it, that, that's kind of a 
you know, a decent segue after we were talking about the Big Ten. But, you right. know, when 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 Majors and Fulmer were, were there, and, you know, they were there together, and then, you know, Fulmer by himself as the head coach, you know, th- they were able to go anywhere in the country and recruit. You know, they'd go up to Ohio, and they'd go to New Jersey, and, They'd go out to California. You know, they, they kind of had the first um, national-level recruiter. Um, you know, a guy who was their wide receivers coach, a guy by the name of Kippy Brown. You yep. know, he was the guy that would kind of go to California and Texas and, you know, up to New Jersey. And, you know, New Jersey is a lot like – Alabama and, and the state of Louisiana, you know, on a, on a per capita level, you know, they produce a lot of NFL players out of that state. And, um, you know, Tennessee would go up there and get their fair share. Um, you know, they got to where they were, you know, going up to the, the Midwest and, um, you know, beating Notre Dame and Michigan and Penn state and Ohio state for players. And, you know, He's, you know, obviously with his experience in the Southeast at Alabama and Florida State and Georgia, I mean, that's where his relationships are. Um, you know, that, that's just, a, you know, it, it's a, although they're a traditional, you know, football powerhouse, it's a tough place to win at. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like when, you know, Phil Fulmer took over for Johnny Majors. It wasn't like he was walking into a rebuilding job. You know, all the talent was there. Um, I, you know, I, I'll say this about Jeremy Pruitt. He, he knows football. Um, he, he certainly uh, knows how to recruit. Um, you know, I think they've, you know, made a good financial investment in, in the facilities up there. But, you know, he's got to win. And, you know, you, you can't – you know, getting – you know, not between Alabama and, and maybe even Georgia to a lesser extent. Um, that, that's that's not the sin. But, you know, you can't keep losing to, you know, SEC doormats. Um, yeah. This, this deep into his team. Um, now, I'll say this. I, I don't know who they could go get that could do any better at this point. Um, you know, I think he deserves another year, but, you know, he, he's probably fallen prey a little bit to, in my opinion, the unanticipated success that he had in, in the, the last half of, of 2019. <clears throat> but, you know, there, there's issues up there. You know, when you're, when you're whacking your defensive line coach, um, you know, after the fifth game of the season or the fourth game of the season, whatever it was, um, you know, that's not a good sign. Um, you know, when you're you're still getting inconsistent quarterback play, um, you know, in, in, you know, this deep into his tenure, you know, that's not a good sign. I mean, he's got a good offensive line. He's got good young wide receivers. Um, you know, the, the, the defense, which is his area of expertise, is, you know, kind of so-so. So, yeah, I don't really know what's going to happen up there. Um, <laughs> you know, look, if, uh, if if Phil Fulmer wants to cut him loose, 
I'd, I'd love to have him back in Tuscaloosa <laughs> as the defensive coordinator. <laughs> I think everybody would love that, William. We, no we've all, we've all seen we've all seen what he can do at that job. And, you know, maybe you know, I'm not going to say this because I think Jeremy is capable of being an SEC head coach, but there there's no shame in in being you know, a Will Muschamp or a Bo Pelini and, and, you know, being a $2 million a year defensive coordinator somewhere. That, that's not a bad life. Heck, no, it's not. But I wanted to go back real quick before we start talking a little bit LSU. I just was really impressed with Najee Harris again last night, 119 yards rushing. His touchdown streak ended, uh, but he also had six catches for 36 yards. To me, he looks quicker this year. He looks quicker and more Absolutely. And I, I think that's one thing he was – I think he worked on to get better. before. And I think he's also running more physical. But he, to me, he just looks like a guy when he, when he hits the hole, he, he hits it quicker. And I just think I, – I think his footwork's been phenomenal. But your thoughts on Najee? You know, I mean, I think he made a great decision by coming back. And I, and I think the – you know, the new strength and conditioning staff, if, if you could – you know, point out one person that I think they've had the biggest impact on, it, it would be Najee Harris. Um, and, you know, and certainly Najee's the guy that's got to go in there and put the work in to, to get that out of his, his athleticism. But, you know, I, I just think it's a great story, Drew. I mean, you know, this is a guy that four or five years ago, him and his mom and his brother were living out of their car. Um, you know, he, he's going to be in a position here and, you know, six to eight months to, you know, support them beyond their wildest dreams financially. Um, you know, I think he's in the process of worst case being an early second round pick, you know, maybe with, with his size and athleticism and his receiving ability out of, uh, out of the backfield, maybe he does, you know, work himself into being a late first round pick. Um, but, but I, I think he's, you know, a great, great young man, a great story. Um, and, and, you know, one of the – with all the, you know, BS that's going around in society right now, I mean, I, I think he's one of the few bright spots. He, he's just a, a quality young man. He represents the university in a, in a high-class manner. And, um, you know, it, it's just good to see, uh, you know, somebody put the – you know, the time and effort and the investment into the program that he has to put himself in a position to, you know, reap those rewards. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's been nice. And uh, he's had a heck of a year. Uh, he doesn't get enough Heisman mentioned, but I think he should be a Heisman candidate. He should be the leading candidate for the Doug Walker Award, best running back in the country, in my opinion. But, uh, William, uh, before I go back to Thomas, uh, just – your thoughts overall on uh, Alabama's offensive performance and then what's going on in red stick? Well, I mean, you know, I feel like I would be repetitive and, and, and just talking about the same stuff, you know, different verse, you know, to keep talking about the offense. I mean, you know, um, it is what it is. Um, but but the red stick situation, I mean, just keeps getting uglier by the day. I mean, they did get them a, you know, a nice little recruiting victory over Nick Saban in Alabama on Saturday by holding on to uh, Sage Ryan. But we'll, we'll wait and see if that sticks as I, you know, fully expect their season to continue to spiral out of control. 
But, you know, most all the so-called experts thought that LSU was going to beat Auburn. Yeah, um, I, I was one of my and, own and, that. I screwed that up. And and so, you know, we, we, you know if, if Auburn had won by seven to ten points, I don't think it would have been that big of a deal. But for it to, you know, come unglued the way that it did, um, you know, I think raised a lot of eyebrows. And, you know, I, I can't find – one positive thing um, to, to say about the, the current state of their program based on what I saw, you know, in Auburn, Alabama yesterday afternoon. I mean, you know, the quarterback's inaccurate. Um, that they, they really don't have a, a consistent running game. I mean, you saw how many points their defense gave up to, you know, an offense in Auburn that was kind of at the crossroads two weeks ago. Um, you know, that, that could be one of, you know, the ugliest responses, you know, wins and losses wise, you know, coming off of a national championship season that the college football's ever seen. Yeah, it, it was really ugly. And, uh, and, and again, we really, uh, talking about Najee Harris was, we just talked about, uh, the, uh, the senior running back from Antioch, California. That's really what. I wanted to bring up offensively and shine a spotlight on him. He's, you know, Mac Jones has been unbelievable, but Najee Harris uh, has been the uh, the consistent thump the run uh, with the running game. No one's been able to slow him down this year. I know he only got 12 carries for 43 yards against Texas A&M, but again, they uh, uh, we saw uh, Brian Robinson do some good things in that game, and so uh, and and Mac Jones and the receivers made a lot of plays, but. He has just been a consistent force. What he did against Georgia is still underappreciated, in my opinion. What he did yesterday was tremendous. And he, now he gets to go into the bye week and kind of heal up a little bit. But, Thomas, I wanted to bring you back into the conversation. Uh, if you, uh, any any uh, Anything uh, to add offensively and, it's, and also to get your thoughts on what looks to be a dumpster fire brewing in Baton Rouge? Oh, Alabama's offense continues to score points at a clip. Um, I think it is. It's probably the. It is the first game that it wasn't as sharp as Alabama fans have come to expect. But so what? Still a forty-one point win. The LSU situation is is it's bad. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It's just bad. The 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 team. You think they have an identity with a beating of Will Muschamp. And it's like, okay, they, they, they've righted the ship after just, you know, getting exposed because no Stingley and pass offense messes with LSU. Okay, cool, whatever. But then this, I, it's going to be hard to come back from this. And Alabama's coming. Like, Alabama's going to score 40 on you. I think Alabama can score 50 in their sleep on with how bad LSU's defense is. But it's just there's it, it, the brain drain at LSU was so extensive. You know, 21 players left, both coordinators, and everything's in this state of flux. I think you're looking at Ed Orgeron needs to have 
you know, this this year's a bust. I mean, it's it's entirely possible that LSU finishes the year four and six, three and seven if the wheels completely come off. And if that's the case, Ed Orgeron will be on notice to score or, or to get a, to have a ten win season or something like that because LSU fans that's the expectation. Nick Saban started it almost 20 years ago now. Les Miles continued it and so did Ed Orgeron. So that that is a rough-looking team. And even with all of the changeover, that roster has a lot of talent, but talent is almost universally underperforming, whether it's scheme, whether it's development whether you know you pick your pick your reason it's just rough and i'll be interested to see how the alabama coaching staff is able to adapt stuff from what auburn did to slow lsu down and honestly this could be a game where mac jones after a week of rest he i expect him to have 400 yards that's how bad i think lsu's defense is the expectation is 400 for me yeah, and uh, I wanted to announce something really quickly that just broke across social media. It happened last night. Uh, never had the, you know, the pleasure of meeting this gentleman, but uh, William may have crossed paths with him at, during his days at the university. Uh, but we wanted to send out our thoughts and prayers to a Mobile native, a legend, uh, one of the great players under Coach Paul Bryant, former McGill Tulin head coach and athletic director. He's a member of the Mobile uh, Sports Hall of Fame and, of course, the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, and he was part of the Super Bowl three win with the New York Jets and Joe Namath. But Paul Crane has passed away uh, at the University of Alabama Giant. Wanted to send out our thoughts and prayers to that family. Uh, you know, lost a, this has been a tough year uh, for uh, everyone, but uh, another blow to the Alabama family. Uh, it's very sad to lose Paul Crane. But uh, I know we've only got a few minutes left in the show. We'll, we'll delve more into LSU next week and probably give some bye week grades for this football team. Uh, but right now, I would say uh, I would give an A to Alabama for what they did to Mississippi State yesterday and handling business. Uh, you know, and I was impressed with watching Florida against Missouri. Another brawl kind of at halftime kind of tainted it, but they really played well against that Mizzou team. Blew them out in Gainesville. Georgia was not impressive against Kentucky. They set offensive football back maybe 25 years with what they were doing in that 14-3 to win. That game, William, I'm going to be fascinated to see because I still think the winner of the Florida-Georgia game is going to end up in Atlanta. Yeah, and, you know, that to me, going back to our conversation we were having about Pruitt, I have no idea why he thought it was a good idea to hire Jim Chaney. Um, yeah, as that's another good coordinator. That, right. that, that's probably the biggest red flag that I've seen during his tenure as the head coach at Tennessee. But, um, yeah. The, the, and, and again, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, I was talking to a lot of my buddies about last week. Um, you know, when we were talking about the Mississippi State game, I was like, you know, this was before the, you know, abortion that went on down in, in Auburn yesterday. I was like, you know, y'all y'all are, you know, raising, you know, concerns and, and red flags about Mississippi State. Let's don't forget the only game they've won 
is is versus LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then again, you know, you, you saw yesterday in Auburn, you know, just what a unquality win that was um, for Mississippi State. But um, you know, I, I think you know, Drew, it's this off week. I think you know, for college football fans, especially in the state of Alabama, I think having Alabama and Auburn both with a bye week on the same weekend, it's going to free all of us up to watch, you know, Clemson probably, you know, beat the living hell out of, out of Notre Dame and, you know, some other programs, but um, that's, that's kind of a unique um, situation for those of us who live in the state of Alabama. That's, it's not really, you know, something that you normally see having both teams off, um, you know, like that, but um I, you know, that, that that game, especially after listening to both you and Thomas, you know, kind of talk about the state of the LSU program, I've got my own thoughts on it. I mean, if you look at it from an outsider's standpoint, you know, y- y'all both listed off the number of players, the number of coordinators, the number of coaches um, that all fled the scene down there. And, you know, say what you want, but you know, Alabama's, you know, in the LSU fan base's mind, their biggest rival, if if they stroll down to Red Stick, you know, two Saturdays from now um, and, and abuse them in the same manner that Auburn did, and I think that's probably the expectation at this point. I mean, you know, they've got their football team, their football program's under investigation, their basketball program's under investigation. There, there's potentially some prison time involved with the the money laundering and stuff that went on with one of the boosters. I mean, I'm still just shaking my head that, that they actually gave, you know, Vidal Alexander's father, $180,000 to secure his signature. Um, There's a lot of stuff going on down there right now. And a thumping from Alabama is only going to amplify it and make it worse. Yeah, you're right. I want to bring Thomas in to close the show out. I think yeah, we, we are all the, uh, very satisfied with the performance Alabama had against Mississippi State. Happy to see them going into the bye at 6-0, and ranked number two in the country. But Thomas, uh, as someone uh, that, uh, you know, you've, we've, you've talked about LSU a little bit. We'll, we'll delve into that more next week. But uh, I'll ask you, I mean, at, you, you followed the results yesterday. I did, too watching uh, Georgia, basically, uh, that was a, an old-school SEC game. That game was over in under three hours. But your thought – and then we saw Florida, after not playing for about a month because of COVID, handle Missouri. Uh, your thoughts on the, the uh, Florida-Georgia game? Uh, give me Florida. I, I'm, the, the, the problem with Georgia's team in general is – that Florida that they don't have enough offense to keep up with Florida. Mm-hmm. And if if Stetson Bennett just hadn't thrown two interceptions on 14 passes and Georgia just tried to run Kentucky out of the just run Kentucky out of the stadium, I'd have more faith in Georgia's offense. But you know, go back to the Alabama game. The Alabama game was a situation where Georgia was in the game. They were being balanced. Stetson Bennett was being efficient, not really explosive, minus that one long pass. 
But then there was the Malachi Moore's interception. Alabama drives down, scores a touchdown, 10-point game. And the second that Georgia started to press, they fell apart. And, you know, Florida's offense is not Alabama's offense. But at the same time, I don't think there's a player on Georgia's roster. I'm not sure there are very many players in college football that can do a good job covering Kyle Pitts. Yeah, and Kadarius Tony's really playing well too now. Right. So, so with Florida, it's it it isn't just one guy like you just said. It's the entire offense. So they can hit you in a bunch of different ways. And I don't think there's a defense in college football that can slow down elite offense on a consistent basis. I hate it because I, you know, I'm a defensive guy. I like seeing stuff where like 41 nothing, where the defense plays solid football. Excuse me, where the defense plays solid football and gets rewarded for it. But without significant rule changes, and we could have an entire show about the nonsense that is three yards downfield offensive lineman blocking. But anyway, neither here nor there. Without significant rule changes, that's how it's going to be. I think Florida can score 30. I don't think Georgia can score 30. Give me Florida. And if Florida shows, if Florida's defense shows even a pinch of life, just a little pinch of life against a bad Georgia offense, Florida could walk away with this one. And that would set up a really, really fascinating SEC championship game where it'd be, I think it'd be Alabama, Florida. And that, that would be an interesting one. It'd be the first offense that Alabama saw that could score with it and play a modicum of defense. But long, long way to go before then. Yeah, I just I hope it happens. I want I want to hear one eight hundred Herschel, but uh, I'm gonna wrap up the show now. Uh, Alabama six and 41 to nothing. And I do want to say a piggyback. My my last comment about Alabama is uh, William brought up Malachi Moore earlier in the uh, conversation earlier in the show. I really like what he's brought to this defense. He got a stinger at the end of last night. He's going to be okay, but. He brings such funk and physicality. He's not the biggest guy, but I think uh, he, the energy he brings is really starting to help this defense and this secondary. We talked about the other young guys who are developing, but Malachi has probably been uh, the most underrated addition to this defense and what he's brought to the table. And uh, I think he's just going to continue to get better. He was a big part, once again, of that defensive performance last night. Alabama, that was really – Offensively, this team is that's that's their signature. But you got the story was the defense and that shutout. But forty-one to nothing, Alabama gets a big win. We'll come to you next Sunday. We'll give you some bye week grades, you know, uh, individually of the units of this football team, and then we'll take another look at LSU, a fresh look, uh, and how what we think is going to happen, yeah, you know, in the Alabama LSU game coming up in Red Stick a week from this coming Saturday. But for Thomas the Wizard Watts, for William Redfish Barger, I'm Drew DeArmond. Thank you for listening to BAMS Radio once again tonight. Good night, everybody. 6-0, and number two in the country. Roll Tide.